This is Mike McDaniels. And we have a guest uh, today. Um, his name is uh, Kevin Bennett, also known as a French uh, Accent. Uh, welcome to our show, Kevin. Good to see you, hear you. Good to interact with you over the digital media we call the interwebs. Nice to nice to uh, meet up with you. It's been a minute since I've seen you guys last. Uh, down in Orange County at the Anchor Bar uh, before it closed. That's the last time I saw you, I believe, uh, Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, it's it's been a long time. Yeah, it's it's sad, you know. Twenty twenty has been a difficult year for all of us, unfortunately. Oh man, it's been it's been a crazy year, and uh, I I think this is just the beginning of some crazy stuff because you know even if everything went back to quote unquote normal, we got to figure out what happened, and that's a whole nother can of worms. Yep. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of ninety eleven, right, Mike? Oh, it does. Oh man, yeah, it's nuts. It's, it's, it's that. It's a sequel, you know. And they 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 had a bigger budget on the sequel, and they didn't do as well on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I I I don't know. It's it's definitely a strange year, and I am hoping that we can correct the course on the the country and keep the ship from going over a cliff. But uh, I wonder. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder how close we are. You know, I wonder if we are already past the point of no return or not. I can't tell. Yeah. So uh, tell us uh, more about yourself, uh, Kevin. Uh, how did you get started in comedy? Oh, well, I started in comedy in 2011. Before that, I was in theater. I thought I'd be an actor, but I, I learned uh, that that wasn't the best idea uh, between the time I got my degree and started comedy. And... Uh, I, I was in a, I was having a rough patch in life and it's a long story. The short of it is, you know, I think the good Lord's been preparing me for something in the performance arts and comedy has been the one that I've gotten the most traction with. And there's signs going back to the time I was, you know, five years old that, uh, you know, I was telling street jokes. I could just tell you 10 or 15 street jokes if you let me when I was a kid and I wouldn't, I loved it. And, uh, you know, I was in a play where I played a French guy and there was a funeral. It was my grandmother's funeral. I, I gave, I spoke at it and, uh, I did a little, did some jokes, uh, about her life, not to be disrespectful, but to help people, you know, remember she, my grandma had a great sense of humor. And, uh, then I got in this, uh, DWAI situation after this gal, uh, I was with busted up with me and my buddy told me about stand up right where I was in Colorado. Uh, so I gave it a shot and, uh, it went well. I liked it. I kept at it. And, uh, by 2012 in January, actually I developed the character in 2011 in November, but by 2012 in January, I was getting booked as French accent. And since then I've just been trying to hone it and build traction with it. I think it's a godsend. Uh, a lot of stuff had to happen for me to get there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite the story if you get in, it, but it, it'd take me about a half hour to go through it. Hmm. Well, tell us more about your, uh, character French, French accent. How'd you come up with them? Well, uh, French accent is, uh, he isn't really a, a real character character. He's more of a flavoring. He's a special sauce, uh, to my comedy and, when I started at comedy, I, I didn't want to just be one of those guys that went up there and just told you what he thought of the world and talked and, and Hey, look, listen to me. And, and I'm so funny and blah, blah. Okay. All right. Everybody gets up there and talks about themselves. I wanted to, I wanted to make people laugh the same rate. Um, but I, I wanted to do more than that. I wanted to be more than just a guy standing behind a microphone. So when I started doing comedy, I would pretend to be a Scottish man. You know, I pretend to be from Scotland and uh, I do a lot of jokes that I love blackberries or as I prefer to call them wee grapes and stuff like that. And uh, that went good for a while. That went good for a while. Um, but my first year of comedy, you know, I'm learning how to do this guy. I probably had 15 or 20 minutes of uh, okay material with this character. And then I ran into a dude 
he wasn't Scottish, but he headlined with a character that was Scottish. And he acted like he never dropped the character. I thought he was Scottish for a while until I realized he was just, you know, putting one on. But uh, he uh, he was headlining with that. And I couldn't I couldn't justify what I was doing before because everybody would think it was derivative and they'd associate me with him, good or bad. And I didn't want that at all. So I had to start thinking about reinventing the character. And about that time, uh, my brother was about to go to school and my folks wanted me to sort of chaperone him out of our hometown and, and, uh, he was going to high school and I'd be working, but you know, I'd be like, a cause my, my dad had done that. He'd, he'd, uh, he'd lived with his brother while he went to school and he wanted to do the same for his kid. And ah, interesting idea. So I didn't want to do it, but I prayed about it and I decided to do it. And I think that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons God gave me French accent. I don't know, but what, what happened, it was, it was a confluence of things that happened at that point. Because a year earlier, I played, uh, I get no, it wasn't a year earlier. It was like five, it was in 2000, 2008, and this was 2011, I was doing comedy. So in 2008, uh, my final year in college, I played this French character in a play by uh, uh, Steve Martin called Picasso at the Le Pinagile. I played Gaston, this dirty French guy, and there was a scene in it where I came out playing a busted accordion and singing a horrible, doofy song. <laughs> And pe- people just loved it. And the accordion wasn't in the script or anything. That was the director's idea. And it was very funny. Well, fast forward, uh, the previous Christmas, I had gotten an accordion from my uh, mom. I hadn't done anything with it because they're hard to play. And I was going to busk with it because I play a piano. And I figured I'd just pick it right up. Well, it's a little harder than that. So uh, I'm sitting here moving all my stuff. And I hadn't looked at that accordion since January. Uh, I just got, uh, you know, I'd gotten that and, you know, three years earlier I was in that play and my grandma passed away and I really learned how to do an excellent French dialect. Uh, if I wanted to do one that was a real French dialect rather than the one I do on stage, which is an exaggerated uh, pastiche to sort of, um, resonate with the people who watch what I'm doing, uh, but it's not the same thing at all. Anyway, uh, when I, I talk like this, when I'm doing my character, it's just stupid. But uh, I, I picked this thing up while I was moving to take care of my brother. And the Scottish guy had already showed up. And uh, I knew I had to make a change. When I was at work at IBM at the time, I wrote a treatment for a bureaucrat named Francois Raphael Edgar Norbert Celestine Eber Absalon Quarantine Clement Emmanuel Nathaniel Tellus for the initial spell French accent. And that was going to be my... Um, I don't know. I was going to try and use what I'd learned as a French dialect and just be this ridiculous guy who over exaggerated the most minor things. Wasn't a very strong premise. Well, I'm moving because I'm trying to do the right thing for my brother and my keyboard breaks and I have to send it off to get welded. And I play a lot of instruments, you know, so I was kind of jonesing and here's this accordion I haven't seen in a year. And I was thinking of this French accent character. And I also like Mitch Hedberg, who had a, uh, he's got a bass on some of the back of his jokes. He'll be like, uh, uh, a banana is like a stoplight, only opposite. With a banana, green means hold up, yellow means go, and red means where did you get that banana? And then there's the bass, you know. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to, I liked the idea of a musical part, a musical component to comedy. And I hadn't figured out how to do it. And I couldn't bring a keyboard on stage because it's just a pain in the butt. And Zach Galifianakis already did that. Well, I, real, I realized at the time nobody's done anything with an accordion. I didn't know about Judy Tenuta until like 2015. But uh, I was like, nobody's ever done anything with an accordion. I'll give this a shot. So I, I, I started playing it and just fooling around. And I thought of a few one-liners. And then there was this eye patch that I had used because I went as Halloween for Snake Plissken. I went as Snake Plissken for Halloween. And I had a couple of berets and vests. And I was like, oh, heck, I'll just give it a shot. And the very first French accent set is actually on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. It was at Hody's Half Note in 2011 in November, I believe. And I gave it a shot. And it was, uh, it was one of the – it wasn't the funniest set I'd had, but it was right up there. And I had just you know, came up with it. And after that, I just kept I just kept going with it. But um, yeah, so I think I think the good Lord blessed me with that set because it just came together in one day, and uh, I, I just adopted all my old jokes. I just transitioned them to French accent and started writing new, writing new ones. 
And then in February, March, and April of 2012, I went on the road with that fake Scots guy, and I featured for him, and I learned how to do a 30-minute set. And, uh, I, you know, I was I, I traveled through, like, 15 states, and I did probably 40, 40 50 shows, something like that. Nice. And it was, it, was really, it was really good for me. It really – it was like comedy boot camp. And ever since then, I've just been hitting it hard. So, yeah, that was – it that's a bit it's a bit involved, but that's uh that's where French accent comes from. Hmm. Great, uh, yeah, interesting story. Uh, what what did you what do you enjoy more about uh, doing comedy? Comedy does a lot of things for a lot of people. For the performer, it's cathartic. It is for the audience as well. It allows you to escape from where you are, your troubles, and just. Uh, lean into a laugh. Yeah, it allows you to let your troubles go away and be happy and feel good and just kind of forget yourself and enjoy life for a bit. I like comedy because uh, I love to laugh. Comedians always cracked me up as a kid. And uh, I like making people laugh. That's a great thing. And there's smart things you can say with comedy. You can actually educate people with comedy in a, in a very subtle, effective way. And also, unfortunately, a lot of people have realized comedy's potential and they use it for the dark side of the force, if you will. Uh, and I want to try and correct that a bit. Also, um, I've always had a bit of a knack for comedy uh, in theater. And, you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't ever very popular or anything like that. And I was still pretty clumsy. And I, I, I reached a point when I was a teenager where I had to be like, well, either I can just die of embarrassment or I can just lean into it and have fun. And I learned not to mind whether people were laughing with me or at me because, well, you know, maybe I'm the butt of the joke, but made them feel better, you know? So that's kind of a, that's a silver lining win. And I quit, uh, I quit worrying too much about that. And a lot of comedians forget that it's okay to be the butt of a joke. So, what I like about comedy is there's a, there is a lot to it. It's its own art form and it's very fun. And, uh, in a certain respect, it comes natural, but you know, I have learned a lot. Oh, very interesting. Um, what were your plans for 2020 and what are you doing now? Oh, I was going to take over the world and now <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm getting fat and sassy. That's about, <laughs> that's about it. Um, I was, though, you know, I, I, 2020, I thought would be my year. And um, it was very interesting because uh, I was actually doing very well out in L.A. doing comedy in my RV. I had probably a thousand dollars, maybe maybe as much as two thousand worth of gigs lined up from where I was in March through August. The most the, I was right at the cusp of about a five hundred dollar run. It wasn't going to be a great run because uh, any profit was going to be eaten up in fuel expenses, essentially. And uh, what I didn't know at the time is I was about to have some bad engine troubles. And so I would have been it would have been a rough couple of weeks anyway. So e either way, it turns out in retrospect, either either way, things were sliced in 2020 for me. The last half of March and the first two weeks of April were going to be rough. So. You know, it's nice to have that perspective now, but I was going to do those gigs and just keep pushing away at comedy. And uh, I actually was about to run an open mic at the Shanghai uh, room off uh, Beach uh, in uh, Huntington. Hmm. And I was I was set to start that in like two weeks, you know, right. I was going to go meet with the staff and, and what I was going to do is do an open mic and slowly start bringing headliners through and building an audience and making it work. And the staff liked me and my comedy, and, and they were conducive to comedy under the right conditions with the right people. And I, I liked them, and it was a fun little hangout place, and I could usually park my RV there in winter. You know, I could stay there overnight. So I was planning on starting that mic and running a room, and that's a big deal if, for young comics uh, looking to, to get credibility and get more time. If you run a room, then those who you book will give you time on their shows. However... If you just do it for that purpose, it's bad for the whole scene. So you have to run it altruistically. You have to run it for the purposes of you doing a room 
and running your room, not just because you're trying to get booked. You got to do a real room and you got to give it a 100% effort. But you do that and it'll open you up for opportunities. And that's one of the reasons I was doing it. You know, I had avoided doing it for a while, but now I was out there and I thought, you know, I could do a good job. It'd be a win-win for everybody. And at least it'd give me a home base out here in South California. And I could cycle through different hosts, you know. So that's what I was, uh, that's what I was looking at doing for 2020. I was hoping I was doing more um, extra work. You know, I was doing background work. And now, now that uh, the Chinese Wuhan coronavirus has backhanded the itinerary of the world, mm-hmm. um, I'm looking at uh, putting a down payment down on a, a cheap house somewhere in the country and uh, going there and pursuing comedy in that local area until I can figure out where the circuit is in that area and then going after it there. Because... I don't know, you know, I, I don't know that L.A. and uh, San Francisco and New York are going to come back uh, in terms of entertainment centers. I think they may have, um, I think they may have seriously harmed themselves. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, we live in really uncertain times at the moment, unfortunately. But yeah. if, if you were not doing comedy, what would you be doing? Well, comedy is very good, and I love it. However, it has always, in a certain respect for me, been a stepping stone to other things. Ultimately, what I'd like to do is make a film. And I'd like it to have plenty of comedic elements, but I'd like it to have an action element, science fiction element maybe. I don't know about a love story, but I want there to be something worthwhile in there from a metaphysical perspective. So that's always been my overarching goal. I've got two books out nobody's read because I don't know how to market. I'm working on that. Part of my formative years, I guess, or I don't know if I'm formed or whatnot, but part of what I've been up to is building a following. Um, The thing is, uh, I'd like to produce something like that. I'd like to make a piece of art in film form where I can have the vision fulfilled to the best of its ability. I don't want to do anything rinky dink. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. So ultimately that's always been the Uber goal. And if I'm not doing comedy, I'm doing something that involves the artistic gifts. Good Lord's given me uh, that direction. So I've, I've got a couple books out. Nobody's read. I do write short stories. I write music. I need to write a script. I've written novels, but just the formatting's what kerfuffles me because it's, it sort of impedes me from visualizing it, but I need to do that. Um, so yeah, if it wasn't for comedy, I'd just be pursuing some sort of artistic something or other in a different way. Maybe a band. I've been in a couple bands. Um, and I always try and keep a day job in my corner pocket because uh, the thing about artistic pursuits is they don't very often put money uh, money in your pocket. They don't. They can but you can't go into it for that. You got to be able to give it your all, even if you're not getting paid and you do it long enough and God willing, somebody will notice you. That's what I hear. But I'd like, if I can't get noticed, I want to build my own thing. So yeah. that's just sort of where I'm at. Uh, what were you, oh, what are your plans for the future? Well, uh, God laughs at man's plans. What I try and do is um, the next right thing, what it is. And it doesn't mean you don't plan. It just means even the best plans with the best intentions are subject to unknown factors uh, in uncontrollable circumstances, COVID-19. My plan right now, I'm hitting the 10-year market comedy. I want to put down roots in a professional residential sense as an adult because I don't want to become one of these tramps. There's a lot of tramp comics. I want to be one. I do not. And it's sad because there's some really talented ones out there and uh, they don't realize that they're, they need to have a different approach to get to the next level. And I realize that I just don't quite know how to do it. And I know that I can't, I need to have some sort of property somewhere and I I need to have a home base that uh, that's under my name and isn't, you know, I'm not leaning on somebody else for it and rental. That's not building equity. That's just pissing away money. (laughs) And I've rented before I've rented 
you know, before I did the RV thing, but I've been done the RV thing since 2016. I can't go back to it just because it, the amount of money I saved doing the RV thing makes it so that I can live the lifestyle people who are middle class were able to live when I was renting and I couldn't do that. It basically, it was that big of a jump. There were sacrifices because it's an RV and it breaks down and you can't rely on it totally and finding somewhere to sleep is hard and you know, you got to deal with the showers. But honestly, I found a way to make it work really well for me. And uh, I've been able to save a little bit, not much. And my thought is, well, the best way to go residential, I, you know, I could get an apartment anywhere, but I'm just not building equity. But if I can make enough for a down payment on even a cheap house and then pay the same amount I would have in rent, then I'm not losing any money that I would have before, but now I'm building equity. So that's my thought. I'm, I want to go somewhere and build equity. I don't want to give up my artistic endeavors, but I want to build equity somewhere. And the best way I can think of to do that is to buy a property. Thing is, the properties in my price range are pretty cheap. So I'm looking at places where cheap properties aren't necessarily going to lose value. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Yeah, well, Bob, thank you. Yeah, because for example, here in California, it's it's more difficult to find affordable housing. So unfortunately, a lot of us living here would want to get our own home, but we're pretty much uh, yeah. stuck with just um, renting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pricey out there too. It's three to four times the uh, the price to live in a place like Wyoming, where I'm from. Like. Cut all your expenses into third or fourths, and that's what it'd be like. What you're making now, if you could make the same amount you're making now in Wyoming, you'd be three or four times richer. Mm. Uh, that's what it's like. And I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I, I just want to say that. But I know that the riots in the '60s in Detroit, the impact of that is felt even today. And Detroit never really recovered, but they're on the upswing. But, you know, it, the bottom dropped out in around 2008. I mean, it dropped out hard. And now you can find full mansions, like decent mansions in Detroit for like five or $10,000. Uh, it's crazy. Of course, they're in some of the worst neighborhoods in the country, mm. but very cheap. Now, I hope things don't go so bad in California that the same situation transpires. But the way people are leaving the state right now, I wouldn't be surprised to find if property values took a hard dive and people began to have the ability to afford houses. Because with the coming election, if they don't change their tune, they're going to bankrupt that state. The leadership is because people who pay taxes are going to leave and then they're not going to have any resources. And that's going to force them to change policy to a certain extent. Or double down again, which will make things worse. And my hope is at a certain point, enough is enough. And a lot of the taxes are cut back. And a lot of things are just done away with. And to recover, things like property value drop. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm hopeful, but I don't know. I really I really wonder if California has uh, gone the way of Detroit. I think it is in like parts of like Los, like Los Angeles and you know LA County. Mm -hmm. It's happening there. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Los Angeles is just... I don't even like driving through DTLA. Neither do I. I hate taking the bus there, too. <laughs> it's 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 funky down there. I, I've, had, I've done a few shows in the area. I don't think I could ever do a show at the Lexington just because parking, just to park my RV down there, that's parking my house, yeah. uh, you know, in that area. And that's like... The Lexington is adjacent to Skid Row. and uh, But the thing is, Skid Row is just expanded uh throughout that whole region it's insane and now venice is is out in the boonies venice is nuts yep. um even santa monica's starting to get funky and uh it's it's just not stopping it's crazy i would i'd spend a lot of time in noho and huntington beach those are my and i was also in ventura when i could uh those are the places i liked to frequent when i was doing the rv thing out in la noho's got its nasty areas but it's not that bad but man hollywood dtla I, I didn't like being around there if I could avoid it. Yeah. The only time I'll go to Hollywood is like for uh, Amoeba Records because I'm doing like a vinyl record collection. Nice. Nice. Yeah, but they Well, just, I mean, I would have... They, they just... Um, go ahead. They're, they're moving the, the Amoeba Records because they're... I guess they lost their place there. Oh, man. Yeah. That's too bad. 
Well, I, I like uh, – it's not that I don't like going there and checking stuff out. It's just I don't like parking my RV around there. And, heck, even if you can find parking, it's usually expensive. Now, I know there's places like on Yucca Street, um, uh, you know, which is up there right right, right up from the boulevard before you get to Highland. Yeah. There's spots there across from that Lowe's building where you can park all day for free, but usually somebody's got the spot. But if you cruise it for about an hour, you can usually find something for free for a couple hours. But it's a pain in the butt, and it ain't. I found so many nails in my tires from cruising around Hollywood. I don't know why that is. I don't know. That's why I, I, I would not want to live there at all. <laughs> Me neither. I don't know how people just haven't, you know, they must have some sweet deal to not leave. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to live there. I'd rather live in, like, Orange County or somewhere else nice. Mm-hmm. Orange County's tight. So is uh, so's Ventura, Oxnard area. San Diego's got some good areas, and you know there's there's some good stuff near Hollywood and L.A. But uh, it's just the closer you get to it, the crazier it gets. It's it's like a yeah, it really does. It, it's just it's nuts. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, a lot of uh, bad things are happening in California, and I hope it doesn't get to the point in which we have to leave the state, but. If it happens, then uh, so be it. We we may consider yeah. moving to Wyoming then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wyoming ain't bad. The winters are pretty cold here. Colorado's a bit nicer on both of those areas, but they're getting pretty expensive. Um, I've been looking at the the deep south, honestly. There's a lot of really cheap stuff there, but I hear the heat is insane and there's a lot of funky crime there. So my plan is uh, I'm lo- I'm actually looking around there. But the- Ohio's also pretty nice, but you want to stay away from – I don't know. Cleveland's a kind of a mafia hub, yeah. and there's a lot of a lot of people die around there. But I think it's just I think it's under underhand, you know, under what do they call it black market activity. Hmm. But Ohio's got Ohio and Indiana have some of the cheapest houses I've ever seen. So does West Virginia. Uh, the Deep South has some very cheap uh, housing too. I think Arkansas is the cheapest state, but I mean it's Arkansas. But uh, I'm looking around that area. There's cheap stuff in Florida and Louisiana and Alabama and Georgia. I mean, like we're talking for 50 grand, you can get a four bedroom house, you know, 50 grand. That's it. Four bedroom house. Um, You know, you can, you, you, if you could put $12,000 down on that, uh, I believe that's, that's more than 20%. That's all you need is put 12 grand down and then you pay five, hundred to a thousand a month in mortgage and uh you own that sucker inside five years and you can rent it out if you want so i'm looking at i'm looking at something like that honestly but i don't know you know i don't know what the actual neighborhoods are like where i've been seeing these houses i see some nice ones but i'm sitting here thinking i mean that's got to be like the skid row of arkansas you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. it could be yes right so i I don't know (laughs) Yeah, I guess uh, before buying any property, maybe it'll be better to do some research. I mean, research. research on the area to see if it's actually worth oh, yeah. buying. You know, what are the pros, the cons, and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You got to take your time on that stuff. I don't know. Um, I don't know the best way to do it, but uh, I know I'm looking at a lot of stuff. I was thinking about building a tiny home this year. I actually drafted out plans for like 10 of them and I got a little 3D modeling program and made one online and started looking at uh, property like just land. Uh, the thing is land in my price range is like full of cactus and meth heads. So that's not what I'm after. <laughs> um, it, it almost, there's actually, it would almost be cheaper to buy land with a nasty house on it, bulldoze the house and build a new tiny home on top of it than it would be to just buy the decent land plots in certain places it's crazy yeah i actually heard about that you can do it you know anywhere now yeah a lot of well it depends on the region but most most places are opening up to it 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 will depend you want to check with local city ordinances but thing about tiny homes is they're pretty they're a pretty good investment it's basically a self-made apartment uh that the person owns and builds or, or buys, you know, you can buy a, a pre-built tiny home for like 20 grand. Uh, it's not a big deal. You just got to, you just got to have the property to set it on and plug it in and get the water and stuff. Um, I was really looking at a, an off grid tiny home, you know, one where I could store water and rain barrels, use solar power 
and just have no utility bills at all, which would be pretty neat. But there's some logistics there. I think you'd have to spend about 50 grand to make that dog hunt. And for 50 grand, you'd get a house about the size of a single bedroom apartment, a little bigger maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Still, you could own it. And if you did a good job, you know, building and running it, um, you might be able to sell it for what you put in. Uh, you might even be able to sell it for more if you got the right land in the right place. Arizona's got some spots uh, north, slightly north and slightly west of Flagstaff, just down the mountain from Flagstaff, about 40 minutes, 50 minutes away. I was looking at plots of land there, but, I mean, it's Arizona, and I don't know if I could handle the summers. Yeah, I, I don't want to go to Arizona anyway. It's, like, hotter than hell during the summer. Oh, man, I don't, I, I don't know how I'd deal with it. That would be too much for me. Yeah. Yeah, I had a friend uh, who was about to move to Arizona. Uh, she's a, a pharmacy technician as well as myself, and her husband mm -hmm. is in real estate, I believe. So they oh, were wow. making plans, like they were having all this, they were planning to buy a house and everything. And she even uh, declined a job offer that she got from Kaiser, so that was pretty big. Oh, my goodness. And at yeah. the last minute, she goes like, uh, I, I was like, weren't you going to move to Arizona? And she goes like, oh, no, we're just going to stay here. I was like, oh, uh -huh. gosh. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know. It, it's weird how things go because I was really thinking about that tiny home hard for about three months. And then I helped a guy build one. And it wasn't that difficult. I mean, I think I could do it. His idea was he bought one of those sheds like they have at Home Depot and he just finished it out. And, uh, then took it on a trailer and dropped it on land he owned. But he already owned the land and he had the infrastructure to, to move it. So that was working in his favor. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's something to think about. And the other thought is just to get a, you know, a better RV, sell the, the one I got now and keep doing what I'm doing. But I don't know that I want to do that because uh, especially the way the government's going and whatnot, if, if, if we have something like a civil war in this country, I want to have somewhere stationary. Yeah. Uh, that can be fortified where I can, you know, start growing vegetables and stuff. Yep. <laughs> now, if the country goes to a war, uh, I would say we're just going to flee the country. Yeah, I think a lot of people will. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange right now. I don't know. I really hope old Biden will make it in because if he does, he's a puppet politician. And those who would install him... Uh, would use him to push their agenda, and their agenda is America's sovereignty and making us beholden to a, a, a group of nations. They call themselves the UN now, but the ultimate goal is a one worldwide a body of leadership consolidated under one government. That's the that's the end game to this. And I personally, I don't think it can be stopped. I think it can be avoided. I, I think it can be delayed. Um. I don't know how long it can be delayed. Eventually, it's going to happen. And I think the longer we can delay it, the better. Uh, but Biden gets in. They're going to go about doing that. And if we fight back, we might have a fighting chance. But if we don't, that's it. I don't think he's going to make it in, though. I think Trump's going to make it in. And I think they're going to try and steal the election. And I think they're going to fail. I'm praying for that. Yeah, anything can happen. But, yeah. you know, like Mike yeah. said, if this country goes into civil war we could flee but the only thing is that if we go to another country we don't know what's gonna await us there because usually when things are bad in the u.s then you might expect things to be worse in a different country yeah yeah that's the that's the rough part about it i i think the the, the wisest move it might be wise to flee i don't know what does seem smart to me is having a compound somewhere that's not depending on the grid you can heat things, you can cool things, and you can grow things in a garden to sustain yourself. Maybe not great, but well enough that um, you aren't dependent on the government. Yeah. Because ultimately, they, they, the, the people in power want all of us dependent on them so that we have no choice but to do what they say, essentially. And that's not how government should be. Government... The best, the most freedom for a society is when government exists only to the point it has to and otherwise doesn't push it. And that's what we had for a long time in this country. Uh, a lot of people have been working to eliminate that reality and replace it. 
with a fascist state. And uh, it's not the Trump side, ironically. The people who are loud and yelling the loudest against him uh, are the ones trying to push that. And they're the same flavor of people that have been trying to do that uh, since the Bolsheviks and the Jacobins. It's, it's all just the same thing with a, with a different coat of paint for the generation that's trying to be tricked. And they they got far with it this time, and I don't know, I don't know that they have fully failed. But the the rioting and looting and stuff, it's part of something bigger, and uh, it's not a good thing. Yeah, the rioting and looting, I I don't like it. Like I don't support it. I just think you know a lot of people are just being crazy, like out of their minds. Yeah. Well, and the, the, you know, if, if you really want to, um, if you really want to help those who are perhaps marginalized by society setting things on fire and stealing from the people you think are the bad guys isn't gonna win their support uh, if you really want to help yeah no not yeah not at all yeah what it's gonna do is it's gonna it's gonna make people uh matter more angry at that group in fact it's gonna have the exact opposite effect the million man march uh, when martin luther king marched on washington earlier than that Neither of those situations uh, caused outrage and ire. In fact, they were effective. There was some pushback from local authorities, but because of the passive, the peaceful nature, because it wasn't passive, it was peaceful uh, nature of it, in line with what American values are, it got things done. What's going on now is it's actually undoing what guys like uh, uh, Louis Farrakhan and uh, uh, Martin Luther King did when they marched on Washington. It's actually undoing their work. It's putting people further away from being able to coexist than they already were. And that is by design. The CIA uh, has been trying to push for that sort of racial division since at least Charlie Manson. I mean, he was an operative for the intelligence community. And uh, what he was doing was he was he was trying to you, he was using LSD and hippies, uh, stupid people at the fringes of society that were easy, easy to manipulate as tools to light a, a spark of a race war. If he, things had gone as they were supposed to, there would have been there would have been some big trouble. But he, I think he scrambled his brain too much because the CIA didn't, didn't know what they were dealing with when it comes to hallucinogenic substances. And I think that scrambled his brains too much for him to be useful to them but yeah the whole the whole thing we're seeing now the elites want to keep us fighting each other and they want to keep arming both sides for the whole divide and conquer motif so they can attain and consolidate and maintain power and what we need to do i think as a country is realize everybody already agreed that all lives matter for the most part in this country our enemies aren't each other our enemies are bureaucrats and politicians who want to consolidate their power by lying to us. Mm-hmm. And we need to get those people. We need to get rid we need to get them out of office. We just need to vote them out. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, crazy when, you know, around the election year, everything gets wild. Oh yeah. Well, and this is the wildest one. Yeah. So I, I'm staying away from politics. I'm like, you know what? Let them do whatever they want. I'm staying away. <laughs> My sincere hope is that I can go back to that stance because I used to be a lot more, I didn't want to be involved in that as much as I wanted to just do comedy and jokes. But things got so bad recently, I couldn't do comedy and jokes because of politics. I mean, I can, but barely. Um, I've got a, I've got a few um, Zoom mics, podcasts. I've done like 10 or 15 live shows, maybe up to 20 since the COVID hit. Uh, it's hard, though, to do any live anything. So that... That's made it so I'm like, well, if this is how it is, then I'm going to fight until this is over. We're either back to normal or we hit the next level of insanity and I got to really fight. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping, I'm just hoping the, the craziness we're seeing doesn't get off the internet because there's a lot of people who would lean into a civil war and they, they don't, it's stupid. It shouldn't happen. I, I don't want that. If it does happen, I'm going to you know fight on the right side, but. I don't want to. I'd rather avoid that. I'd rather us just, you know, keep our freedoms as a country. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this this reminds me, you know, what you're mentioning about the whole divide and conquer thing. It reminds me of this mm -hmm. recording that I heard about the Illuminati. Uh, I forgot the name of the gentleman who, uh, you know, who made that recording, but it exactly matches, you know, history, you know, what actually happened in history and what we see today. They they are creating a divide and order so that we can all be divided as a nation and that uh, the elite, you know, the invisible hand, whatever you want to call it, that they can conquer us faster. And it also taps into the, the religious issue about uh, Ephesians 6, 12, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against prin principalities, you know, and I don't want to get into the whole religious thing, but it really looks like people are not actually doing this whole divide and conquer. It's actually demons, you know? I think you're actually quite accurate to quote what you said about uh, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with uh, principalities, with powers, with spiritual wickedness in high places, because that is ultimately, I, I agree with that. What I think is happening is that these principalities, I, if you wanted to use modern terms, you might call them extra dimensional non-human intelligences. Just to put the political correctness to metaphysics, if you will. Because demonic, yeah, that's what it is. But people don't know what a demon is. People think a demon is some red, red goat thing with horns in it. No, it's a fallen angel and they exist in a different dimensionality than we do. It'd be like um, it'd be like if you were on a computer and you wanted to use Microsoft Word. Well, the computer is the universe. Microsoft Word is like a person on the universe, right? Clippy the paperclip, he'd be like an angel. But imagine if Clippy the paperclip went bad, like he got a computer virus and started making it so you couldn't write. And whenever you wrote a sentence, it turned out funky and all that. Clippy got evil because he got a glitch in him and he got a computer virus that's a fallen angel that's a devil that's that's what satan is he's a he's like an angel that got a, a computer virus in the extra dimensional sense so the principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places the virus that's trying to eat away the simulation of reality it operates in a way that combines and links events that don't seem connected so uh, one of the reasons people who are called conspiracy theorists seem crazy is because they can see a connection, but they don't know what it is, because a lot of them don't realize that without the metaphysical component, you can never see the, the whole picture. And that is a big part of the picture. And once you realize there is that medical, metaphysical component, then all of a sudden it makes sense why so many things will happen at once and it seems to be leading a certain direction because it is and there there is a sort of orchestration going on and I don't fully understand it but you'll find the people pushing for globalism pushing for the SJW movement that don't like traditional marriage that want lockdown that want masks that want control almost always are against God in the traditional sense and for some pantheistic or paganistic mystery school of thought of the New Age slash Luciferian variety. And I think that's very telling. Uh, you'll see these city council people who are pushing for masks and whatnot have prayers to Mother Earth where they directly name demons and devils and the devil sometimes. There's like a one that happened in Orlando or Miami. I can't, it was in Florida. It was a Florida city council praying to the devil before they did their business. And it's on, it's, it's the craziest thing. I, I couldn't believe it. I just saw it on uh, the, it was a Trey Smith video. He, he posted It's like his most recent one uh, where he was talking about some prophetic stuff about Kim Clement. And I don't know if Kim Clement's legit or not, but the point is, I think what we're seeing is consolidated on the metaphysical level and people don't realize it. And so they will dismiss folks who call it out because they already didn't believe in the metaphysical. So they, they're, they're really, they're doubly deceived and it's sad. Yeah. It's really sad because no one gets informed about it at all. It's just, uh, yeah. I guess everyone's like trying to believe whatever they want, but we just got to look at the brighter picture. We do. And you know, the, the, the brighter picture is this, every single person on the planet was put here for a reason and has a destiny and a God who made them. And that means that whatever difficulty we're going through, there's a reason. And if we persevere, we will overcome and we will be stronger and better for it. 
But it also means if we refuse to develop, we can only hurt ourselves. It's like uh, it's like when, you know, you've got a child who needs to go to bed by nine at night and they won't do it because they're afraid of the dark. So they got to always go in mommy and daddy's bed. Um, and so they, they don't develop fully. They become dependent. But they need to get through that dark. They need to grow up and become mature enough to realize that there isn't a monster under the bed and they can sleep perfectly fine in their own room. Because if they can't get that skill, it's going to hamper them in life. But getting that skill is painful. That darkness is scary. Mm -hmm. Those feelings are real. And you have to come over them. You have to overcome them. You have to, to be stronger than them. When you, when you do, it's painful. So the child that is able to overcome that is able to become a functional adult. The child that isn't becomes a Democrat. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. But they, they become, <laughs> they, the, the, the child that isn't definitely uh, has trouble in terms of maturity they, they might wet the bed until they're a teenager you know they might not move out of the house uh until they're a lot older mm -hmm. things like that they, they're going to have more trouble in life so the, the, that's what that's why we go through difficulties it's not that god hates us or wants us to suffer it's that there are certain things that are a blessing in disguise and we're born into certain situations where if we take it and overcome then we see it was better for us to do that than to not. But there's no way for us to understand that until we've been through it. And our society today, the participation trophy people, they're keeping us in the dark. They're, they're keeping us afraid of the dark by restraining us from overcoming our fears. Yep. I think that's still happening today. It's been happening. I don't know how long. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's, it's been, ha it's, it's, it's a, how do I put it? It's a um, common feature of the human condition. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just that, uh, yeah, like you made that comparison about children who are afraid of the dark. Like, instead of um, facing the dark, you know, facing problems, they would rather just find their comfort zones and stay there. But uh, when people do that, they don't know that uh, they're only uh, hurting themselves because, you know, by refusing to... Uh, get out there and you know see what life is about and all that then uh, yeah there's there's no way there's no way for you to move forward at that point yeah that's the truth and it's sad it's a sad state of affairs the thing is there is a solution and that is you overcome as you can that is uh, you you don't allow um, your situation to uh, to to be greater than you are, you overcome your situation. The best way to overcome your situation is not to give up and uh, to face that adversity, to face the darkness and overcome it, to let your light be stronger. That's the, that's a big lesson God's trying to teach everybody. And people, instead of doing that, they want to say, oh, I have a disorder. Or, oh, I have a phobia or blah, blah, blah. You know what? Everybody's got something. There is not a single person who doesn't have something. And some of them let the difficulty overcome them, and some of them overcome the difficulty. Uh, excuses, though, uh, that that don't help nobody. Yeah, like, you know, a lot of us have problems. Like, for me, I have a PTSD because of mental abuse I had when I was a kid, you know? And mm. I get through it by listening to music, and it feels great when I listen to music. Yeah. it mu Music's... I think music is a... It's another, it's, it's, I think it's, it's like if you were looking over a hill and you saw lights hitting the clouds and you didn't see the city, but you saw the illumination from the city. I think music is like that for another dimension. It, it like gives us a peak of something greater. Yeah. It also helps with anger and depression and everything. That's why I'll listen to like the craziest metal albums that I can find on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's what's the word I'm looking for? It's cathartic. There's a definite catharsis. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, music, you know, uh, regardless of taste, you know, whatever music you like, uh, it's, it's a it's a great tool to get you moving forward. You know, in my case, I listen to industrial, but I also find peace at listening to gospel music because as everyone knows, I became a born again Christian in 2017 and 
It's been great since then. I like a lot of uh, gospel singers. I actually had the opportunity to go to a Christian event at Angel Stadium on August of last year. And there were a lot of great uh, Christian uh, singers there. And a lot of people got up on stage and they, you know, they gave their life to Jesus Christ at that point. So, yeah, it was it was a great event. Yeah, I think that's another uh, great way to listen to music. Amen. Yeah, that's that, that's a good testimony. That's good to hear. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm the same. I, I like I like all kinds of music. For me, you know, I like there's some metal, there's some rock, there's some Christian stuff I really like. I don't like a lot of country, but there's some country I like. I don't like a lot of rap, but there's some rap I like. For me, it's always been more about the song than it has the artist, because even the best artists have lemons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just try and listen to all kinds. But I like to make stuff, too. But yeah, music—it's—it's it's something else. There's, there's, and there are mysteries to music that mankind still has not mastered. Yeah, for me, when I listen to metal, like it's a great release for me. Like, if I have a bad day at work or just a bad day traveling, I'm like, you know what? I'll just put on a metal album and calm down for a while. Yeah. Oh, I—I I used to be such a such a little rocker I, when I was in when I was in college. I, I'd I'd go to these local metal shows, and I was in a few little. I was in a band in high school. We we did a bunch of System of a Down covers, and it's fun. I I miss mosh pits. I haven't been to a mosh pit in so long. Yeah, the last time I moshed, I think, uh, man, I think it was last year. <laughs> oh wow, nice, nice. <laughs> For me, it's been at least a decade. It's crazy. Yeah, I miss going to shows, but I think the last concert I went to, I went to go see Kiss when they played at the Staples Center. Tight. Yeah, it was cool. And Tight. And you probably heard about uh, what happened to Eddie Van Halen recently. Yeah, it's sad. I liked I liked uh, Van Halen. They 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 had some good. He had some good music. Well, uh, David Lee Roth he opened for Kiss, and he actually did a bunch of Van Halen classics. Oh, how tight is that? That's I know. Pretty cool, man. I'm like, oh, that's that's badass. If Eddie was on stage, that would have been better. It's sad that our generation can't produce the sort of artists because like. Kiss, Van Halen, you know, uh, Black Sabbath, Steve's, or sorry, Frank Zappa. Uh, mm-hmm. I even like Sticks. I, I like a lot of older, older rock and roll. And and our generation, there's good music today, but man, back in the day, they they had something. They they caught a tiger by the tail. Yeah, but eventually music has to change. But a lot of bands don't like changing. <laughs> That's true. They they find their sound and they don't want to they don't want to move a bit. Yeah, like well. Like, for me, like, I'm a guitarist in a metal band, and if I have to change my sound, so be it. I'll change it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the way. And and what's sad is a lot of fans don't understand that. They'll be like, oh, Vince Sevenfold got all pent. Well, dude, the guy broke his voice, and the genre shifted a little bit. Yeah. He had to change a little bit. He had to do bad country. Which, even though I don't like, you know, Vince Sevenfold, I still like that song because it's pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah, it's it is. Yeah, I think the first time I heard it, it was on a some weird snowboarding video game. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of songs like that. There was um, I got introduced to the Offspring through uh, uh, Crazy Taxi. I missed that game. That was fun. Oh, that was a fun game on PlayStation too. Yeah, man, it's been a long time. I I haven't I haven't been a gamer since college, but I used to be. I used to have a, a disc, a disc. Uh, uh, book with like probably well over 100 games and i had a ps2 and the last game i played really like really got into it was metal gear solid 3 yeah i i grew up with the tony hawk video games like you probably heard yeah you probably heard they re-released part one and two again no that's tight yeah it's on ps4 and xbox i'm like oh i gotta play it again because this brings back my childhood (laughs) <laughs> yeah dude my, my brother over christmas break um picked up resident evil 2 on the ps i don't know is it four we're at now he picked yeah. up the and and i played that because i always go home to see my family over christmas until covid you know i just see him once a year but he picked it up and um it was uh it was a lot of fun it, it's it's a good remake yeah, when they remake games and they do it really good, then I'm happy. But if they mess it up, I'm pissed. <laughs> yeah, that they they redid uh, Resident Evil Three, and it's not as it's. Eh, I wouldn't even bother. But the RE2 reboot's pretty tight. Yeah, the, the Tony Hawk One and Two remake 
looks really good. Like the graphics are amazing, but you know, I still miss like Tony Hawk underground where you can get off the skateboard and just walk around and stuff. I miss those. Those are tight. Yeah. Those are tight. In fact, I think yeah, the, I, the Tony Hawk games got me into skateboarding when I was little. <laughs> oh, wow. I used to play uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater on a uh, Game Boy Advance because you could you could even build your own um, you could build your own skate parks. That was so cool. Oh, I love doing that. It's fun. Yeah, it's been a long time. That was, that was a that was a neat little game there. They did neat games, neat games. I wonder what Tony Hawk's doing these days. I wonder if he's skateboarding anymore. He's still doing it, and even his son is skateboarding too. Oh wow! Yeah. Good for him. I'm like, man, he's what, in his 40s, close to 50s, and he's still doing it? Amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's intense. He's got to be built to, he's got to be made of metal and stuff to because the falls you take. Yeah, it's kind of like Ozzy. He's still doing music even though he's, like, in his 70s. Yeah, Ozzy, I, Ozzy Osbourne and the guy who did ACDC, the original singer, uh, they've got a funny way of talking. Oh, yeah, Bon Scott? yeah. Because Bon Scott really talks real weird when he sings this crazy song. <laughs> and then Ozzy, Os- Ozzy Osbourne does something similar. He's like, um, uh, uh, close your eyes. You got to close your eyes. You got to close your eyes for me. They do that this thing with the front of their tongue. Yeah. I don't know why. It's, uh, it's cool, though. I like it. It's weird, though. Yeah, even though um, Ozzy's old, I'm still like you know a big fan. Like he's been my idol in music since I was like about ten years old. I get a kick out of him. He's um, he, he's uh, he's a good musician. Uh, I, I I do. I there are some songs I think are like all right, but Black Sabbath had some neat music for sure. Oh yeah, Black Sabbath. Like I'd say the first four albums are the best. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not as well versed in specific albums, but. I mean, there's like, you know, there's like 20 or 30 songs anybody could sing along to from, from that group, from Ozzy himself. Yeah, I would say my favorite Black Sabbath album is uh, Master Reality. A lot of, that, that's a, that's, there's some really good classics on that one. Yeah, because I think they're doing more like stoner stuff because they're talking about weed in one of their songs. <laughs> oh, tight. I didn't know that. Which song is that? Uh, Sweet Leaf. Oh, funny. That's tight. And it's hilarious because I guess someone's like doing like a love song to pot. So I'm like dying the whole time when I'm listening to it. <laughs> good on him. Good on him. Yeah. yeah. That's some good stuff. Yeah. And then, well, that's, I think Ozzy, go ahead, yeah. Ozzy released a new album this year actually. And it's pretty good. I'll have to check it out. I last, uh, last new song of his I listened to was dreamer. I really enjoyed dreamer. That's that a, a good song. That's a good one. Actually. I get a kick out of it. Yeah. It's a good song. Yeah. And, I guess uh, Zach Wells not part of the band no more, so I guess it, he got somebody else. Hmm. Yeah, I heard something about that. Well, I mean, it's you know, it's been decades. Yeah, makes sense. Well, this is a this is a pretty neat uh, podcast y'all are uh, getting going here. Um, it's nice to uh, it's nice to touch base with you, and and uh, I I'm glad you're being proactive and finding a way to keep busy in these crazy times because yeah you know, people get too complacent it's no good for them yeah and we also have a video blog on youtube it's called mike and elizabeth and yeah we make videos about a lot of aspects of our lives and yeah we like to stay busy you know because like you said these are diff- difficult times so it's it's good to you know do something you know go go out and do what we can i mean since we can't do shows right now but yeah. I am going to be doing a virtual um, comedy festival, sort of say. It's like uh, with some UK-based uh, comedians. It's going to, I think it's starting on the 23rd of October. So if, okay. if people like what I have to share with them, then um, I'm going to keep going uh, on Saturday and Sunday. But yeah, I'll definitely keep you posted on that. <laughs> Dig it. Well, please, please uh, do keep me posted. And uh, this has been a neat, uh, neat little uh, podcast. Thank yeah, you for having thank me. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Kevin. It's been thank very uh, educational Absolutely. as well because, you know, there's, there's some things we didn't know. But, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all you uh, shared with us tonight, you know, about your life, uh, you know, the information. Yeah, it, it's been great. 
Well, thank you. This is a lot of fun. Let me know when you get it up. I'll uh, go ahead and spread it around social media. You guys are uh, fun to talk to. Sure, right, definitely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, have a good night. All right. Have a wonderful night. Have a night. good night. See you later. Yeah. Okay. Will do. You too. Nice, nice meeting you. Nice meeting you. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, and to our listeners, uh, thank you so much for listening. You know, uh, well, um, this is our first, uh, it's our third episode, and it's our first episode of October. Mm-hmm. And yeah, God willing, we're going to do a Halloween special on the 24th. So yeah, we're going to uh, keep you posted on that. We want to share some uh scary stories you know talk about some really crazy stuff but yeah also uh like i mentioned we have a a youtube channel so yeah do check us out there called it's called mike and elizabeth yeah and you know i guess that's pretty much it yeah so thank you guys for tuning in and we'll you know keep you updated on what we're gonna do next yeah thank you have a good night you have a wonderful night and stay safe yeah Bye. Bye bye.